Over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be sharing with you some biblical reasons that we do certain ministries in our church. And we'll be talking about some of them. Some are really public and very obvious, and you hear about them all the time. Some of the others are behind-the-scenes ministries that I know a lot of people have questions about. Questions about how they work, questions about the logistics, but more than anything, questions about why we do what we do. And so we're happy to be able to answer those questions. And over the course of the next few weeks, I'm very excited to show you these ministries, maybe in a different way than you have ever seen them before. We're going to start today with an incredibly special one that we're only about 14 months into in the actual practical use of this ministry. We're approaching the two-year mark in planning and preparation, but about 14 months that we've actually been doing it, and what a blessing it has been to our church. It's called the Stevens Ministry, and as we set it up, watch this video. just recently experienced a recurrence of ovarian cancer in June. Five years ago, I had it for the first time. I know I'm blessed with an amazing Stephen minister because she's so willing to go with me at whatever places I need to be to process what's happening. She's kind of fearless in that way. She'll just be there. And she doesn't try to fix me. She doesn't try to... uh, talk me out of my feelings. Gosh, I feel, I feel anxious. I feel frustrated. I feel like someone punched me in the stomach. I feel blind. I feel all these things. And I know there's times where, you know, we'll each have tears in our eyes and a lot of feeling in it, but it was okay. She can take it. She is so with me. I know I can trust her, but I also I'm so blessed by knowing that she's praying for me all the time. She keeps track of what's going on in my life. She comes, I think, I know, out of a heart for God and to serve God and to love others. And I get from her a different kind of love and a different kind of relationship that I can have with anyone else. It's so much more than a trusted friend. It is really, it's really deciding to open your arms to experience the love of Christ. She is coming here as just someone to care for me and be with me with for no nothing I can't it's like with the Lord I can't earn it I deserve it I can do nothing and and no matter where I am or what I am she is a she's a consistent and a constant in my life for this season and um, it has just done Having her has has really done so much for me in my um, spiritual relationship with the Lord, in my faith journey as well. It's really seeing grace, experiencing God's grace, just by her presence, just by her being there. It just speaks volumes to me. What a support, what a, a other kind of deeper feeling of being part of the body of Christ, it is, to actually sit with a Stephen minister who's caring for you. I truly feel cared for. I feel strengthened. I feel supported. And my Stephen minister truly is a gift. It's a gift. A year and a half ago, the elders sent four people from this congregation to Orlando, Florida to be equipped as Stephen leaders. 
they came back and recruited a group of people that wanted to take on the ministry side of this. And then they spent 50 hours in training them. It took 25 weeks. It's a huge investment, huge investment. And last July, we had the opportunity to commission those Stephen ministers into action. And they've all been very active over the course of the past year or so. It's been a blessing to our church and certainly a blessing to the people that have been receiving care from them. The Stephen ministry as a whole comes alongside other ministries in our church to support them and to hold them up by focusing on individuals that are dealing with difficult times in their lives. When we knew that we were going to send those people to Orlando, we had received a list of different ministries that Stephen ministers can support different ways that they can reach out to people in times of crisis and grief. And we were able to identify at least 38 different areas that we had need of in our congregation. Here's just a sampling of some of those. This is not all 38, just a sampling. People in chronic illness, as you just saw in the the video, but they also come alongside the families as they face the challenges of chronic illness. And that's a wonderful thing about how they're able to minister to the entire family unit. They help people that are dealing with grief that comes through the loss of a loved one, through separation or divorce. They deal with shut-ins that are in that situation for a myriad of reasons. They work with new mothers after having a newborn and new fathers. Stephen ministers are able to help people that are wrestling with low self-esteem or a terminal diagnosis and all of the issues that are related to it. It's interesting that they're able to come alongside train, to come alongside people that are dealing with job losses or retraining and oftentimes repositioning. For folks that have faced financial setbacks, having a Stephen minister that understands what those look like is a huge blessing. They work with people that are struggling with their faith in God, and I would add to that even their faith in church. They help people that are wrestling with issues surrounding aging or facing life changes, retirement, miscarriage and infertility, empty nest issues, that's very close to home, and the list just goes on and on and on of the things that Stephen ministers are able to help people with. Over the course of the past 12 or 13 months, as I've watched what the Stephen ministers have been doing, I've been reminded of an illustration that Johnny Erickson taught us uses to describe a lot of what she does and what her husband does. If you're not familiar with her, she is a quadriplegic that leads a ministry for the disabled. It makes perfect sense. Early on in her adult years, she was in a diving accident, broke her neck, and ended up as a quadriplegic and then chose to use that for the Lord, and she's done it in amazing ways. Her husband, Ken, works right alongside her, and the two of them are obviously involved in a number of different things, but Special Olympics are very close to their hearts as well. Ken, in particular, invest his life there. Just a few years ago, they were serving in one of those Olympic situations where he was running the track and field events. He had a group of racers all lined up for the 50-meter run. They fired off the starting gun, and you've seen Special Olympics before with all of the energy and excitement that they can muster. They started charging towards the finish line. And as they were racing along, one of the the boys that was a part of that particular heat got sidetracked. He saw some friends and family members out in the infield and they captured his attention. He kind of veered off the track and started running for them. 
Well, Ken was holding on to a whistle because, again, he was running the event. So he started blowing his whistle and waving his arms, trying to get that boy's attention and get him back on the track. And this boy didn't care a thing in the world about what Ken was doing. He was just focused on his friends and family and running for all he was worth. And Ken didn't know how to get him to come back, but a girl that he was running with, a girl with Down syndrome, figured it out. Just before she crossed the finish line, she started yelling to her friend, Hey, come this way, come this way. When he heard her voice, he stopped, but he was obviously confused, Johnny says, and didn't know what to do. And that girl, without crossing the finish line, figured out the best way to help him. She left the track herself, ran over to where he was at, and got him by the arm, and the two of them ran back to the track, arm in arm. Now, all the other racers had crossed the finish line by that point, but when these two came across the line together, they were met with the applause and a standing ovation of the entire crowd, thrilled to see what they had just seen. Well, I have become convinced in the last 14 months that that's the same thing that our Stephen ministers do. They leave whatever it is that they're working on, they leave all the things that they're focused on to go get people that are off track and bring them back. Now, we can all say that we know what it feels like to get off track at different times in life. You hit a snag along the way or maybe a bump in the road and it changes all of your plans. You get turned inside out or upside down. You don't really know what to do and and you're distracted by it. And Before you know it, you're a long ways from the finish line. You're a long ways from the track itself. And it is incredibly comforting to have somebody that is willing to leave the track and come get you and bring you back. That's what Stephen ministers do. They leave the track and they come get you and they bring you back, staying right beside you as long as they need to until they're able to release you to cross the line on your own. It really is a great ministry. It is patterned after a man for which they bear his name from Scripture. His name is Stephen. There's not much known about him biblically. In fact, he only shows up in the book of Acts. I encourage you to go there. Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory so you understand what's happening when he does show up. Right after Jesus ascended into heaven, and that's recorded in Acts chapter 1, the apostles were all together in the city of Jerusalem. They had met him there and they watched as he was lifted into the clouds by his heavenly Father. Jesus had told them that they were to remain where they were at for a time. He had promised them that the Comforter was coming, that they would receive all of the help and the guidance that they needed. They just needed to be patient. So they kicked around Jerusalem for a while. You can imagine it was a little difficult for them to be seen in public. Jesus had ascended into heaven. All the people in the city saw it happen. All of the stories of the crucifixion surrounded him and those that would call themselves his disciples. So they were scared, nervous, and more often than not, in hiding. They would wait in rooms together just talking about what they had seen and what they were supposed to do, and they would wait. They would wait on the Lord. Sometimes they would come out of those rooms, and by Acts chapter 2, they were actually sitting on the southern steps of the Temple Mount. Beautiful place. It really is. Tina and I have sat there. In fact, I was reminded by Lonnie Van Ice after first service that when we were singing that old hymn, How Marvelous, we actually sang that in a synagogue in Nazareth that was the very place that Jesus stood up and read from the scrolls of Isaiah. What an amazing experience. Second only to sitting on the southern steps of the Temple Mount. That's exactly where they were at on the day of Pentecost. 
Jews from all over the land had come into Jerusalem to be a part of the Pentecost celebration, and they were all making their way to the temple itself for worship, and that's where the disciples were at. The Holy Spirit descended from heaven and when the appearance of tongues of fire came to rest on them. And when that happened, Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and he preached. Man, did he preach. He preached a message that convicted all of these Jews that were standing in front of him of their sin. He preached a message that convicted them at many levels of their heritage. And then he did this, and this is good stuff. He preached Christ and him crucified. And all of these people that were standing in front of him heard that message. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. They would actually ask this question as a group. What must we do to be saved? Peter would respond, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were. The Bible says that 3,000 of them, 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, in order to give you a little bit of perspective, you have to understand that when Jesus ascended into heaven, the church was very small. At times, throughout the four Gospels, it would swell in numbers and then it would shrink back down. By this point, Jesus had been crucified. The disciples had gone into hiding. More than likely, we were looking at a number somewhere between 18, 24, maybe pushing towards 30. Very small number of believers. That was the first church. After Jesus went into heaven, it was this tiny little group of believers. But then in one day, they went from 24, 25, up to 30 believers to 3,030 in one day. One day. The church just started to grow rapidly. Now, if you were to trace the the events of the church from Acts chapter 2 all the way up to Acts chapter 6, you would find out that there were all kinds of things that were happening that were adding people to the number. That's how the Bible says it. They were being added to the number daily. So that 3,030 people began to swell. Now, this is just my random figure. You can't find this in Scripture, so it could be wrong. It doesn't really matter. Let's say that by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, we have a church of 10,000. 10,000 people living in the city of Jerusalem, Jews that had converted to Christianity. And it's incredibly important to grab hold of that. When they came from far off lands, distant lands, and they made their way into Jerusalem and met Jesus Christ there and became Christians, it was more often than not impossible for them to go back home because they'd left their religion, their heritage, they left their families, they walked away from businesses and homes, and they wanted to know as much as they could possibly learn about this new Savior, so they stayed in Jerusalem. Some stayed out of fear, others stayed out of passion, some stayed just for a desire to grow in that relationship with Christ, but they remained in Jerusalem without a home, without a job, without any way to take care of themselves. All of that fell on the church. This new church that was swelling in numbers rapidly was also swelling in needs rapidly. They were having to take care of people that had had their lives turned upside down and inside out. And something pretty cool happens. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, can you imagine in any entity having two groups of people that were complaining against one another? Can you you fathom that? 
there was a group of people that were saying, this isn't fair, they're getting more than I'm getting, and I want what they have. And the other group was saying, no, we have to have what we want or what we're getting, and, and you don't get this. So they're arguing back and forth, hard to picture, I know. But that's what was going on in the church. Happens in churches today. Happens in nations today. It happens in any organization that you are a part of. People start complaining against one another. So listen to what the apostles did. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The twelve apostles, by this point, Matthias had been chosen to replace Judas, so they were twelve in number. The twelve said, we got to pray and we've got to teach. We're going to need other people that could take on some of these other tasks that we're dealing with today. Finding food, figuring out how to cook it, how to prepare it, feeding all of these thousands of people, finding homes for them, taking care of the widows for the people that we can't get employed. We've got to have folks that can head that up. So they did. They found them, seven of them to be exact. Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. These seven men and all of the people that they would recruit underneath them became such a huge blessing to the church that the church continued to expand rapidly because people were having their needs met in the name of Jesus Christ. Very practical, physical needs were being met in the name of Jesus Christ by these seven guys and the teams they assembled. But you have to hear what the Bible says about Stephen. Verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Stephen was full of something pretty special, was the grace of God, and with it the power that follows. Stephen was performing miracles in sight of all of the people. The Bible doesn't tell us that he was performing healing miracles. The Bible doesn't tell us that he was feeding 5,000 like Jesus did. The Bible doesn't tell us that he was bringing people back from the dead. The Bible tells us that he was performing miracles of grace. He was changing people's lives. There was power in this man. He was doing simply what the Bible told him to do. He was doing what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do. He was doing what he had seen patterned in the lives of the apostles. He was doing what he had heard Jesus had done himself. Stephen was just following the grace that had gone ahead of him. In the process, he was doing something incredibly unique, and it has a very special term attached to it in the Bible. He was fulfilling the law of Christ. That's exactly what he was doing. He was fulfilling the law of Christ. Let me show you why I believe that. We're going to go to the book of Galatians. Keep turning to the right from the book of Acts. You're going to run into the book of Galatians in about three books. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to spend a lot of time in this book this morning, so you can keep a finger there as we bounce around just a little bit. 
I want you to see chapter 6, verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now that's a really curious statement for New Testament Christians. Because we would read all the way through the New Testament about we're no longer bound by the law, that type of teaching. We would read about how Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and so on. We would even read in the book of Galatians about how we have been freed from the law because of Christ. But now all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul makes this kind of strange twist on our belief about what New Testament Christianity looks like. He says there is a law attached to it, and he gives it a title. It's the law of Christ. But did you see what he put with it? Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. It begs exploring this whole idea so that we can really understand what it means. Otherwise, we might just skip right over this and say, Ah, oh, that's something for lawyers to deal with. That's something for preachers to deal with. That's something for elders to deal with. But the law of Christ doesn't really touch me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And you have to understand what it looks like. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, just over one chapter, or back one chapter. Chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So here's what the New Testament does. It takes all of the Old Testament laws and it boils them down to this simple command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you know that Jesus, when he was questioned about the greatest commands of the law, would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. When we take all the commands and put them together, that's what it boils down to, and that is the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God first, but then get busy loving other people. You get busy caring about other people. In fact, you care about them so much that you carry their burdens, and when you do, you will fulfill the law of Christ. When you begin to carry their burdens, you'll be living the way Jesus wanted you to live. Now, this wasn't some new teaching and new idea for these Christians. In fact, Judaism would teach the exact same thing. Keep your finger there in the book of Galatians, but let's go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, then Leviticus. We're going to go to the 19th chapter I'm going to show you what I refer to as the common sense laws. Just common sense. Now, the Lord wrote them down and put them in the Bible because sometimes we come across folks in life that maybe are a little short on common sense. So God needed to put some things in here just to remind us. This is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. 
If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because he has desecrated what is holy to the Lord. That person must be cut off from his people. Now, let me stop there for just a second because you're thinking to yourself, you said these are the common sense laws and we're talking about fellowship offerings. So what do we do with this passage? There is some incredible teaching in those few verses about how we bring offerings and tithes before the Lord. It's to be done in the proper way. The New Testament would teach with a cheerful heart and a willing heart. Anything else is trying to pull things back for yourself. There's great teaching in that. We don't have enough time to go into it today, but I encourage you to explore it. Picking up in verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But listen to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. You see how this was not some new revelation to them? Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law can be summed up in that, love your neighbor as yourself. So when the Bible tells us that there is a law of Christ, that is it. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we might carry their burdens, that we might lift some things off of their shoulders and help them make their way through life. Especially in those moments where they've hit a snag, especially in those moments where things get turned upside down. There's burdens that are attached to that. And the Bible says in the book of Galatians, you help carry those burdens. And when you do, when you do, you will be living the way Jesus wanted you to live. You'll be fulfilling his law. And that's what really matters. In fact, there is a natural progression within Christianity fueled by the Holy Spirit that leads us to this place. We'll go back to the book of Galatians. Hopefully you still have your finger there. Here's what happens. When you receive Jesus Christ, when you respond to what you hear, and you're baptized into the Lord, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. You have the Holy Spirit within you, and you have all the power attached to Him within you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? When you hear and respond... The Holy Spirit is yours, not just at your disposal. The Holy Spirit is within you. He resides within you. And certain things become a part of your life as a direct result of that. Go with me to chapter 5. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law except the law of Christ. The law of Christ says that we're to love each other in such a way that we are carrying their burdens. 
That's the law of Christ. If the Holy Spirit lives within you and you are truly loving other people, then the natural expression of that love will be a desire to carry their burdens. The natural expression of that love will be to help them get back on track. The natural expression of that is to relate to them in a very unique, special way, as you saw in the video. The lady that was talking in that video said that she was receiving something from a Stephen minister that she had not received from anybody else. It was a special relationship, and the special part of that was fulfilled in the law of Christ. Her Stephen minister was helping carry the burden of cancer. Her Stephen minister was helping her as she was facing some of the most difficult things she had ever faced in her life, and they were fulfilling the law of Christ. That's how you would define the uniqueness of that relationship. It is all tied together in people that want to do exactly what Scripture tells us to do, fulfill the law of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself and carry their burdens. In order for us to do that, though, we have to figure something out that's pretty practical, especially in the world that we live in today. That is the difference between a load and a burden. There is a difference. The Bible tells us that we are to carry people's burdens, not their loads. That is patterned after Jesus himself. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. These are Jesus' words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you notice that he didn't say, come to me, all you who are carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, tired from carrying the burden around, not the load. There is a difference. Follow me through this. A burden is something that happens to you in life due to no effort on your behalf. A burden is something that happens to you. You didn't cause it. It happened to you. A load is completely different than that. Now, let me illustrate a burden for you. A burden is somebody who is born with certain challenges in life. Maybe they have birth defects that bring about those challenges. Maybe they have a predisposition to health problems. Maybe they have certain things genetically that they have to try to overcome. Burdens come as a result of that. A burden is something that happens to a person when their husband or wife passes away. A burden is something that happens in the face of deep grief like that. A burden is something that comes when a a wife says to her husband, I just don't love you anymore, and the husband is taken completely off guard, and, and he's left to deal with the ramifications of that. That's a burden. Or a wife who has a husband that says, I have chosen somebody else, and I don't want you in my life anymore, and so he goes off to do his own thing. She is left to carry a burden. A burden is something that happens to a person that unexpectedly loses their job because the economy just tanked. A burden is something that happens to a a person when they face financial difficulties, maybe due to medical reasons or any number of other things that they didn't put themselves in line for, but they're facing these huge financial issues. So the Bible says you carry those types of burdens. You come alongside them and lift them off because that's exactly what Jesus would do. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. 
Now, a load, on the other hand, is something that happens in your life as a direct result of your actions and choices. There's ways to illustrate that as well. Maybe you were born with some of those predispositions. Maybe it was a birth defect that you have chosen to hide behind all of your life or a predisposition for health issues, and and those things are always there for you, and you use them as a means of martyring yourself. Somebody asks you to do something, you say, oh, I can't do that. Somebody asks you to go somewhere, oh, I can't do that. You don't even give it a second thought. You just hide behind the health issues and say, there's no way that I could pull that off. At that point, you're not dealing with a burden, you're dealing with a load. Another load example would be something like this. Maybe you have a friend that seems to lose jobs all the time and they would come back and make all kinds of excuses and so you help them find another job and they go to work and then they lose that job and you help them find another job and then they go to work and they lose that job, always making excuses for it. The load is the fact that they're doing something that's tanking that job. A burden, on the other hand, is something that happens when a person loses that job just because of the economy. They got laid off. It didn't have anything to do with their actions. might even look like this. A load would sound something along these lines. You find out that that person is losing the job because they can't get to work on time. So you tell them that I will call you every day and I will get you out of bed and you will be able to go to work then and you'll get there on time and I will do that for you because I love you and I care about you. Well, you do that for five days and you're helping carry a burden. By day six, you're trying to carry their load and you're enabling what they're doing and that's wrong. The best thing in the world you could do on day five is tell this good friend of yours, buy an alarm clock and use it. That's carrying the burden. Anything else is carrying the load. Does that make sense? Shake your head yes if that makes sense. Stephen ministers are to carry one another's burdens. Christians are to carry one another's burdens. That's fulfilling the law of Christ. To carry somebody's load is to enable brokenness. We have a lot of people that wonder about how that works in Stephen ministry, and and we try to make that very clear. We're not asking you to change the course of somebody's life. We're asking you to help carry the burden of the unexpected. We're asking people as Stephen ministers to come alongside somebody and help lift some of the weight of those things that they never wanted to have happen in their life in the first place. We're asking people to fulfill the law of Christ. And a lot of people have experienced that through the years, through Stephen ministry and in our congregation in the last 12, 14 months, they have experienced it time and time again. What a great blessing because they've had people that have run off the track to get them and bring them back and head towards the finish line, that they might finish well and have the Lord himself applauding as they come across that line because somebody went to get them and bring them back. And by doing that, that person, that minister in that moment was fulfilling the law of Christ, just doing what Jesus told us to do. At that moment, everything is lined up exactly the way it is supposed to be. Now, you don't have to have a name tag or a specific title to do it, But Stephen Ministry helps you do it very well. And it helps us pair you up to be able to do that very well, to help folks out when they need you the most. Now you might say, and and I probably could be guilty of this myself at times, well, gosh, shouldn't they just pray about these things and expect that the Holy Spirit who lives inside them can help turn things around? Well, there's a lot of truth to that. There really is. And there's a lot of you that have experienced it. But sometimes, sometimes... We just need a little something extra. And thankfully, the church provides that. 
I was thinking through that this past week as I was going through the message actually at our house late one evening when I received a text from our oldest son. His name is Nick. Told you about him a number of times. He lives on the east side of Montana. He's a rancher there and just loves his life. And He's been in harvest for the past few weeks, pushing towards the past few months. And they're working long days. They go to work at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and they're working until 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. And that's what happens when you got to get the crops in. But for the last 10 days or so, they had been having electrical storms every night. He was loving it. He's out in the tractor watching the lightning as it's hitting the ground all around him and, and just getting to experience this beautiful glory of God. One evening he got home, it must have been 11 o'clock, about 11.15, he sent me a video of what he was watching standing outside his front door, just wanted me to see it. He said it was the most spectacular of the nights that they had had. Now I could describe it to you and it wouldn't do you any justice. Why don't you just watch this? It takes about a minute. sitting in the back here to my right. Kyle grew up in Cutbank, Montana. Kyle, do you miss thunderstorms like that? You know exactly what he's talking about when he's enjoying that. Tina and I grew up in Kansas. That's one of the few things I miss about living on the prairies is thunderstorms like this. So he sent this video to me and I was watching it and still thinking about the message and how everything was coming together for it. And I was reminded of this story, a really good story. There's a young mother that was laying in bed one night as a thunderstorm like this was raging outside and she and her husband were laying there enjoying it and then she heard this little voice from across the hall that said, Mommy, I'm scared. And she yelled back and said, Don't be scared, honey, I'm right here. They laid there quietly for a while with God interrupting the, the silence with thunder and lightning and doing what God does so spectacularly in those moments. And, and then that voice yelled out again, But Mommy, I'm scared. She yelled back and said, or then yelled back, just said back to him, Honey, don't be scared. Remember to pray. Jesus is always there with you. Little boy got quiet, and then God rocked the windows again. And she was looking around, and something caught her eye this time rather than her ear. Something caught her eye. Little boy was standing right there beside their bed, and he said, Mommy, can I get in bed with you? And she was getting a little bit exasperated at this point, thinking, no, you can't get in bed with me. I'm too big, and the dog lays here, and on, on, on. You can't get in bed with us. But before she could say anything at all to send him back to his bedroom, he said, Mommy, I know that Jesus is always there, but sometimes I need somebody with skin on. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? 
It really is. Probably everybody in this room at some point, every Christian in this room has felt exactly like that little boy. Yep, I know God is there. I know Jesus is there. And I know the power of prayer. But sometimes, just sometimes, I need somebody with skin on. I need God with skin on. Stephen ministers are God with skin on. They are Jesus with skin on. That's what I love about that ministry. They are fulfilling the law of Christ, no question about it. They're doing it with skin on. So that in those moments where everything is inside out and upside down and turned around and we're standing in the infield instead of on the track, there's somebody that can grab us and bring us back and get us headed towards the finish line. So we're not running backwards. We're not running off into the woods. We're not completely confused and discombobulated. They're there to bring us back. And all too often, we're scared when that happens. And, and just having somebody to lead the way is all we need. We need somebody with skin on. It's a great ministry. It really is. Directly after the service, the Stephen ministry is hosting a reception out in the pavilion. I encourage you to go out there, talk to them, talk about what Stephen ministry does. There are some posters that detail for you the effects of their ministry. Take a minute and read those. They have some wonderful food out there. Go eat their food and and talk with them and just see what it's all about. And if you would like to be a Stephen minister, if you'd like to go through the training, it's really good. They have another class starting right after the first of the year. You can talk with them about becoming a Stephen minister and going through that training. You'll be blessed by it. But more than that, the church will be blessed by it. The Lord is blessed by it because you're in a place where you are fulfilling the law of Christ. And that should be the goal of every believer. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Well, Father in heaven, we we see the law as it matters to you, sometimes in new ways. And sometimes when our eyes are opened for the first or second time, we find ourselves believing that we need to start carrying somebody else's burdens, caring about them, caring about what's happening in their life and coming alongside them. I pray that you'll stir all of our hearts to do that. I pray that you'll direct us to the right place so that we will. Lord, help us do that. But as we look at burdens in life, one of the biggest ones that I am always aware of is the burden that keeps people away from you. Salvation is no burden at all, but sin certainly is. And at the end of it, if we haven't dealt with it, we will never see you face to face. We will not know the joy of a complete relationship. I pray, Lord, for everybody here that stands at a distance from you. Would you bring them close? Would you do that today, that today might be the day of salvation? So that they can understand the gift and the grace of your death on the cross. And then they can begin fulfilling your law, carrying one another's burdens. Lord, I pray that will happen. Stir our hearts in whatever capacity we need. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.